And welcome back to the Heather McCoy Show. Joining me from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest is Robert Larson with our regular update. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hey, Heather. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. Um, in lieu of the Kelly Thomas case in which uh, two officers got off scot-free from beating a man in the, with audio and video provided, uh, you had a story about a 22-year-old man who died on the ground while in police handcuffs in 2012. Um, can you elaborate more on this? Yeah, actually, it was all the way back in 2010, but this case just sort of played out where the uh, police officer in question was found not at fault. Surprise, surprise. Um, I mean, in this case here, it does seem more like that the uh, officer didn't do anything completely over the top, but I, it, to me, it just points out this sort of trend of that when you see these cases it, it's so seldom that the officer is ever found guilty of uh excessive force or abuse or yeah i mean it's just it's always the the officer gets the extreme benefit of the doubt going all the way back to as far as really high profile cases but you know rodney king if anybody remembers that case oh yeah were found not guilty it was they were only ever sent to prison because there was a, the uh, federal justice department brought a civil rights case against them and i think that was sort of politically motivated in that the uh, it was under the clinton administration then they they were just i think they were kind of fearful and that there was so much outrage and they wanted to really quell that and and feel like that they were uh, uh had some sympathy for uh, people who are victims of police abuse, people who are more often than not people of color. Yeah. And with that case in 2010 in the Inland Empire, I think what you were telling me was that he was on drugs, yes, but the officers really didn't pay attention to his condition while he was on the ground. Yeah. Well, this is a case, uh, what the official ruling on this is is that the uh the man in question who died was uh he was on drugs he was on md mda which is a, a ecstasy like drug he's on marijuana and methamphetamines uh you know kind of mix of drugs not a good situation and he had some health issues as well there was uh, an enlarged heart and all of these things yeah probably led to his death and uh, but the, the situation is, is like it, it, there doesn't seem to be any indication that the police officers really understood this or that they took him to a hospital where, yeah, you can put him in handcuffs, but he's really in a bad situation here. Let's get him under some medical supervision. And it, it just seems like that this happens more often than it should, where a person is is being apprehended and uh, the officers either overreact or don't fully see the signs that the person has got some health problems going on or, or is really messed up on drugs. And a lot of drugs are deadly and, and, and a uh, medical professional needs to be involved. Yeah. And, uh, but, but again, it's a situation of, of uh, you so seldom read a story where, oh, hey, this officer's going to prison for a long time because he beat the crap out of this person or he let this person die. And so I just thought we should sort of bring this case up and, and 
that the ruling just happened in the Kelly Thomas murder. I'll call it a murder. I think he was murdered. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, that uh, it just, I'd like to see things go in a little bit different direction to where officers are, are held accountable a little more often. Definitely. Um, one uh, bureaucracy that doesn't never really hold accountable is Caltrans. Uh, a Temecula man died in a rear-end car crash on the 15th freeway on Friday. Rear-end accidents are actually higher at this particular exit in Temecula than that any other area um, than average California exits. Uh, there's way too many people trying to get off and the on-ramp, and people just hit the brakes real fast and have to slam them. And this is just because of overall uh, traffic um, growing because of Temecula's population growth. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems that it's it's a really poor design, and anybody who's driven here and gotten off on this exit, it is it is scary. Yeah, there is really treacherous because you. Um, what exit is it? So people can get the heads up. Yeah, it is the um, it, with Winchester. Is it? I think it also goes by the name of Seventy Nine uh, North. But it, you know, no, it's the yeah. It's just it's the Winchester exit from the um, uh, Fifteen Southbound. Okay. And but there's a there are a few different exits in the Temecula Murrieta area that are are kind of like this this is the worst one and i mean you look at it and it seems like it's poor design and but the the problem is is that the population has grown so much over here in the in the last 15 to 20 years that the freeway system can't really accommodate it and so this was this has been a really dangerous exit for a long time and it's been made worse over the last year or so because they're in the process of improving it and making the construction changes and adding a lane and all that, which will be fine when it's done. But in the meantime, before it's done, it's actually being made worse. Mm -hmm. And you have a situation where uh, at several times throughout the day, you know, for long periods of time, the um, traffic exiting there is backed up onto the freeway, stopped. And so then you have people coming along at 70, 75, 80 miles per hour realizing, oh, I need to get off there. And then they like, well, do I stop way back here and get behind this traffic or do I, you know, nobody's letting me over or do I try to blend in here? And it's just you're having to make some split second decisions at a pretty high rate of speed. And, you know, once you're pulled over and you're into that sort of stopped traffic and then it just seems like the people – who are in the moving lanes are going so fast uh, because they really are compared to you standing still when they're going 75. So it's been, it's been quite dangerous for a while. So anyway, this happened on Friday. Uh, my first inclination of it is I was on my way to work and uh, somewhere around noon and um, I'm just taking surface streets. I'm not even on that freeway and I'm noticing there's all this traffic and what's going on. And I ended up being made late for work um, because the surface street was just so backed up and what's going on, what's going on. So I found out later that there was a fatality on the freeway. So they had, they closed the freeway entirely down the southbound side and all the traffic therefore had to go on the surface streets. And what happened is that a man in a pickup truck was, uh, somehow didn't see that the traffic was stopped or tried to cut in too late or whatever, but uh, he was going, you know, went from a very high rate of speed 
plowing into the back of a big rig. So a pickup truck hitting a big rig, you know who's going to win that battle. And, uh, you know, his, the pickup truck just went right under the, the semi, and he obviously didn't survive that. And, uh, you know, it's really tragic, a 30-year-old man. And, you know, I don't know what can be done about it. I mean, they are making the repairs on it. I mean, part of me says uh, when they started doing this whole repair thing and they were making the situation even worse, maybe they should have just completely closed that exit down. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, a lot of people wouldn't be happy about it, but I don't know. That guy would probably still be alive, and uh, it's just some other accidents would probably be avoided. They, they, the statistic they gave is that this exit here, that rear-end collisions are 50% higher than the statewide average. Yeah, yeah. So it's a terrible situation. I wouldn't be really upset if they decided to just keep that exit closed until the construction's done. I, I and that's something I wish they would do more often. And be my brother's exit, which is uh, off of Lincoln on the fifty-seven, that's been under construction for the last two years, and uh, it's just really dangerous coming off of that one because you you're only down the one lane instead of two, and then there's a lot of times where traffic will spill out on the freeway for that one, and it's just awful. Uh, speaking of car things, uh, a young woman, a Temecula woman, was in court in San Diego. That's a local title and empire right there. She happens to be probably one of the first ones to be ticketed while wearing Google Glass, but also she was going 85 miles per hour while wearing Google Glass. So there's two uh, issues there. Um, can you tell us more about this? Yeah, well, actually, Heather, she is the very first, first. person wow. uh, in the U.S. to be ticketed for driving while wearing a Google Glass computer, computer and eyeglass devices. I think that's what they're calling these yeah, things. Yeah, that's pretty but, impressive. So, I mean, yeah, we know this would be coming. I, there are people now, she's one of, they call them uh, explorers. There's 30,000 people that have been uh, selected to try out Google Glass before it reaches the full market. Yeah, place uh so she's one of those i would say lucky people in the sense that i'd I'd like to be able to be one of the trial people but i don't know if i would like google glass but anyway it would be cool to try it out so it sounds better than taking experimental drugs and being (laughs) so uh she was pulled over for going 85 miles per hour which yeah that's not too out of the ordinary people get pulled over for that all the time but after she was pulled over then the officer ticketed her for using the Google Glass uh, device. Maybe he was jealous. <laughs> yeah. But so um, she, she got ticketed under, um, it's a code that uh, requires that uh, there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt that the device was in operation. But so this woman went to a hearing and the commissioner said that the officer did not provide proof beyond a reasonable doubt that she was actually using the device. And as far as just wearing the device, uh, that's murky whether that's illegal or not to just be wearing the device. And I I think actually it it isn't illegal. Yeah. um, But anyway, the, the kind of funny part in the story is that during the hearing the <laughs> the officer's cell phone went off a couple of times and the 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 commissioner in, in the case here had to chastise him <laughs> so i don't know if this officer is like 
kind of, uh, uh, I, oh, I'm going to give out tickets for something that we're not even sure is a crime, but yet I'm going to be an idiot and have my cell phone going off during this hearing. His attention to detail doesn't, doesn't really seems to be lacking. Yeah, the CHP officers. So anyway, um, I, I guess it's kind of sort of like a landmark case. And I wow. mean, I, the ruling is landmark, but just landmark in the sense she was the first person ticketed for uh, wearing Google Glass. I, I've actually seen a couple people wearing Google Glass around town in Temecula. I don't know if you've seen Really? It. Yeah, yeah. I have never seen anyone wear that yet. I, I guess maybe I was just lucky, but... Uh, yeah. It, the uh, I mean, if there's thirty thousand people that have them, I mean, it's not that odd to have seen. Maybe that uh, maybe it was her. Her name is Cecilia Abadi. Uh huh. Abadi, or I'm not sure. Abadi. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but anyway, uh, she's from Temecula, so maybe it was her that I, that I saw. So we'll leave off with this last story. Uh, four men from Moreno Valley, they have been charged with running a sex ring. It's a pretty vicious sex ring involving transporting kids across county lines and uh, quote-unquote recruiting high schoolers from the Inland Empire to go into Compton. Yeah, I mean, actually, yeah, the, the guys running this uh, sex trafficking ring uh, I believe they're from the uh, L.A. area, and they were, but there's a lot of gang affiliations out here in the Riverside and Reno Valley area, and so they were coming out to this area, particularly in Riverside and uh, Moreno Valley, and they use the word recruiting, but I, I don't know if that really applies, because I can't imagine this being too... Um, uh, it seems more coercive, but they were finding girls from ages 15 to 17 at these local high schools and uh, forcing them into prostitution. I suppose they were sweet-talking them somehow and telling them they were going to go to a party and then sort of like just kidnapping them and uh, bringing them all the way out to Compton and Linwood and forcing them to work as prostitutes and just being like the horrible pimp-type uh, characters that you uh, read about and uh, these girls were just not working in any way in a voluntary manner and so there were four different guys and they were uh, all affiliated with the Rolling 60s Crips mm -hmm. it's a pretty bad gang and uh, they have all uh, pled guilty and uh, the ringleader uh I guess or the, the main guy, Paul Edward Bell, is uh, facing up to 30 years in uh, federal prison. Well, I, you know, he deserves it, actually. That's pretty awful. Yeah, it's a pretty terrible thing. So um, hopefully they, they will throw the old book at them. But it's just, it's kind of, to me, it, it's, it's just, um, I don't want to say shocking. I'm not shocked by it, but it, it's just, it's pretty... Um, in your face, I mean, it's this idea, wow, this is like these just kids from these high schools out here being forcefully taken into sex trafficking, and uh, it just, uh, it, it, I guess it's kind of disturbing more than anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, that wraps up this week's episode of from, in, from the Other Side of the Cleveland National Forest. Robert Larson is our, always our correspondent from there. Thanks for being on the show. All right, my pleasure. Okay, and this is, of course, the Heather McCoy Show. <laughs>